Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. The Lord Jesus is the speaker, and we are going to just read a few verses from verse 13 of Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and dashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thy Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you, heareth me, and he that despiseth you, despiseth me, and he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. Let's pray. Father, again, take your word. We ask you and pray. For Lord, my lips are just made of clay, and without you I can do nothing, but I pray for the anointing of your spirit. I pray, O God, that you would come, Lord, and Lord, that you would have your way and say what you would have to say. And Lord, that every man and woman in this place would be aware that God is speaking, whether it be a word of warning or a word of blessing, a word of encouragement, Lord, or a word of instruction, a word of admonition. We pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Lord, that you would be glorified in all of this. And we pray, Father, that our nation and our province, especially at this time, would be aware of who you are and the glory of God. May they repent and turn back to the Lord. Because, Lord, therein lies our only hope, our trust, and our hope is in thee, Lord Jesus, and in thee alone. So glorify your Son, Father, and his own worthy, most precious, beautiful name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. This evening, the the title is The Fate is, pardon me, the fate of Ulster found in the Capernaum woe. Is the fate of Ulster found in the Capernaum of woe? Now we know, living in Ulster, that it's three more counties than Northern Ireland, so we're really meaning is Northern Ireland, mainly, but is Ulster found here? Is the, the woe that has come upon the people whom Christ has spoken to, I believe it is coming upon our province our country, this wee country, a wee spot in Europe. I believe it's coming and that the Lord has been warning. Just Friday week ago, I was telling the people this morning, I was speaking to Pastor Arne and Pastor uh, Graham Lawler just here on a Friday. It was the three of us just having a chat here and everyone was away on a Friday morning, lunchtime, and just afterwards. Started speaking about the things in our land and in our nation and what is happening in Ulster, especially in Northern Ireland, where we're seeing the, the forced uh, abortion and forced gay marriage being put upon us. And we see that we started talking about the lethargy and the laziness. We started talking about the languishing of the church of God in the land at this time. How the heart of the people have changed from a people who are on fire for God and love the word of God and love the truths of the word and are starting to water it down and turn away. And there's many ecumenical services going on across our land and across our nation where those who are saying and professing and proclaiming that they belong to Christ, 
that they have come to a saving faith in him. They are now worshipping on altars of Baal and many other false heathen deities and gods across the land. Just uh, last week I was told of, of even a, a, an old church where Ian Paisley used to worship in it has now been sold and is being turned into a Hindu temple in the heart of East Belfast. Brothers and sisters, where is our land going? Is the fate of Ulster found in the Capernaum woe? For if we look at verse 15, the Lord Jesus, this is what was said. And this struck me so deep into my heart, I couldn't get rid of even the thought of Capernaum. I knew what it was. I read it and I read it and I read it. And then I stopped reading it because God was giving me something to say. And I says, Lord, I don't want to preach this. Give it to someone else. People are thinking of Christmas time. People are thinking of their presents and thinking of their shopping and they're thinking of the, of the lovely, fluffy, fancy, furry tail feeling that comes with it. And the idolatrous worship too. Lord, give it to someone else because if I bring this, they'll say, you're out of sync because you're meant to be preaching on mangers and stables and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't want to do it. And for over a week I said, Lord, I don't want to even look at this. And the Lord kept bringing it up. And someone else mentioned it, and I read something, and I watched a preacher online, and he mentioned it, and I was thinking, Lord, i got to write this down, and I started to write, and this is what we come up with this evening. The Lord Jesus says in verse 15, And thy Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. Let's read it again. And thy Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. The word Capernaum comes from two words, Kafar, meaning village, and Nahum, as in Nahum the prophet, or Nahum, which means comfort. And Capernaum means village of comfort. It was situated around the northwestern shore of the sea of, or the lake of Gennesaret, or Gennesaret, uh, that is the Sea of Galilee. It is said that it was populated from the third millennium B.C., BC. So it's an ancient city, but it was under control of, of a city that was just in the same area up the hill that was on the lower levels, but up the hill called Tel Kinneret. And it's where you get the name Gennesaret or Gennesaret from, for the Sea of Gennesaret and the shore of Gennesaret and that area. Capernaum, Gennesaret, they were above. It was a fortified and a fenced city. And we first hear of Tel Kinneret in Joshua chapter 19 and verse 35, where it's called Chinnereth, it's a fortified or defensed city on the hill. And there the ruins are still there today where they overlooked the area and Capernaum was a village of comfort for the people. I looked further into this and as I looked around the area of Gennesaret and around Capernaum, I went to Josephus, Flavius Josephus, who is a, a Jewish historian from around the time of our Lord. And the War of the Jews, book number three, he gives a detailed, intricate, uh, in-depth view of, of Capernaum and the region around Capernaum. I have tried to, uh, I tried to edit it down to as, as little as I could to give you an idea of this place. Listen, this is what he writes. Its nature is wonderful as well as its beauty. Its soil is so fruitful that all sorts of trees can grow upon it. And the inhabitants accordingly plant all sorts of trees, for the temper of the air is so well mixed that it agrees so well with those of several sorts, particularly walnuts, which 
require the coldest air. Flourish there in vast plenty. There are palm trees also which grow best in hot air. Fig trees also, olive grows near them which require an air that is more temperate. One may call this place the ambition of nature where it forces those plants that are natural enemies one to another to agree together. It not only nourishes different sorts of autumnal fruit beyond men's expectation, but preserves them a great while. It supplies men with principal fruits with grapes and figs continually. It is also watered from a most fertile fountain. The people of the country call it Capernaum, the village of comfort. Fantastic sounding place. And that's only a snippet of what this place was that the Lord Jesus would find that he goes to. This place was a perfect, perfectly fitting paradise of the day. Yet it was under Roman rule. Yet it was under the devil's domain. His grip and his grasp was upon it. It had all manner of religion. Judaism was rife in it. Judaism had, actually Capernaum had a large synagogue in it. So there was religion there. And then there was all sorts of uh, uh, heathen, idolatrous religion as well. But nevertheless, it was all false religion. All of it was false religion. There was non-believers there. There was sicknesses there of all sorts. Demon possession was there. And there was violence. And there was trouble all around the area in Capernaum. So you see this beautiful paradise where God is blessed. This beautiful paradise where God, if, if we can call it, has placed common grace upon these men and women. We're living in a day of common grace where everyone here, believer and unbeliever, everyone in Ulster tonight, in the UK and around the world, live in what's known as the common grace of God. The Dutch reformers called it general grace. And you see, the common grace is, is that God, he blesses all men with the fruit of the ground, with the water from heaven, with the rivers to drink that we read about and the trees that would grow and the fruit that would come off it. And whether you're saved or unsaved, you know Christ or not, or whether what side of the divide you're on, you see, we find that God in his common grace has blessed man. But it shows us that man under common grace does not acknowledge God for his goodness. Man, uh, under the common grace of God, does not realize it is God who has provided. And common grace is found in Psalm 145 and verse 9, where it says, The Lord is good to all. Notice, the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Common grace to everyone. Matthew 5 and verse 45, The Lord Jesus said, He that is God maketh his, the sun to shine, to rise, pardon me, on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. There's men in Ulster tonight. There's men whose breath is in their nostrils tonight. There's women whose breath is in their nostrils tonight. And they're shaking the fist of God, at God every single day and spitting toward heaven. One old Puritan says, that every man who spits toward heaven always finds that he always gets his own back. And it'll fall back in the face. There's men and women who are 
shaking the fist of God, at God. They are blaspheming the name of God, our government and their policies. The terrorism in our land that was rife for 30 plus years, the shedding of blood, innocent blood, people who were bombed at their cars or in their homes, shot dead in their bed. All of this is amounting before a holy God. And we're finding the governments in our land have released under a so-called Good Friday Agreement. They have released hundreds of mass murderers on our streets and now in our governments and now stepping out of governments and be abstentionists from government and telling us how we can have our government. And our politicians are rolling over and playing dead. Playing dead, they're whitewashed. They have backbones carved out of banana, ready to bend and break at every cut and turn and every demand that is made upon them. Afraid because of political correctness. Afraid to open their mouth and speak the word of God, proclaiming that they're Christian men, living a lie before their God, and they will answer to the Lord. They will answer to God. Notice this. God in his common grace has even blessed the most wicked of people in our nation. And the British government, the British government have sold us out and sold us down, as it were, the river. The British government have cared less about the blood that was shed on Flanders fields. They couldn't care less about the fields in France and in Belgium and the, 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 the young men that gave their lives. They couldn't care less. And they're nothing but a bunch of heathen liars. Traitors. The Lord God of Israel will answer and he will come down hard upon this nation. This little land has been under severe attack for year after year after year and people of even both sides of the community and innocency have been murdered and slaughtered and slain. There's no justice but rather appeasement. Common grace, God's providential care, it means it's his, his, God's sustaining grace. It's God's divine providence and provision for his creation and for his creatures. But that is not saving grace. There's elections coming up this week, this Thursday. The people, the unionist Protestant people of Ulster are having a clue who to vote for. You know why? Because we don't trust anybody. There's not a one you can look at face to face and know that they're going to do what they say they do. Notice this, the people of Capernaum were especially blessed with common grace and our little land has been blessed by God but hammered and attacked by the evil enemies. Godless men, Christless men, evil men have roamed our streets and slain our innocent and now they're finding their feet under the table for a united republic 
in a European beast system. That's the truth, brothers and sisters. That is what is happening. The people of Capernaum were especially blessed, as, even as Ulster, the general grace that God has shown them. It surely shows us that man is still lost, no matter who he is nor where he is from. And the devil's rule is still in the land and upon our people and in this nation. Even though God has been benevolent on every side and to every man and woman, shown the common grace to all, surely man could recognize the gracious gift of God and turn and repent of their sin. But man loves to have it so. And listen, those who are calling themselves, I put it in brackets, Protestant, those who are calling themselves, put it in brackets, Christian, those who put it in brackets and profess that they are some form of Christianity in their life, they're godless. They're Christless. And the devil has a grip even tighter upon our people. It's sad to say that man cannot be saved with common grace because man in the deadness and the wickedness and the evil heart that he has, he cannot turn to God for he is still dead in his sin. Dead. It isn't so for man who is dead toward God, but common grace even though he's good and benevolent to us. We also must remember it takes redemptive grace for God to save us. Redemptive grace. Redemptive grace came to Capernaum. Redemptive grace walked the shores of Galilee. Redemptive grace walked the streets of the towns and the villages and the cities thereabouts. Redemptive grace came. Look at Matthew 4 and verse 13, please. Matthew 4 and verse 13 shows us the redemptive grace that came. And it's the redemptive grace that came to our little island. Redemptive grace that came to the United Kingdom. Redemptive grace that's held thus far in Ulster that we're losing at a fast and speedy pace. Matthew 4 and verse 13, it says, And leaving Nazareth, he came. Notice, on leaving Nazareth, he came. Leaving Nazareth, Jesus came and dwelt in Capernaum. And leaving heaven, Jesus came again in the sense that he came the whole way to these islands. And he blessed us with the book. And he blessed us with the blood. And he blessed us with men that would preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he blessed us with men without fear of favor of government and guns. And they preached with power. And men and women were saved by grace through faith in Christ. God has blessed our little province and our little island home. He came and dwelt at Capernaum. Notice which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zabulun and Nephilim. Nazareth means the guarded one. It was the hometown of the Lord Jesus. The guarded one. Capernaum, the village of comfort. Zabulun is actually the, the, from the tribe of Zebulon and it means exalted habitation. And Zebulun was the tenth son of Jacob. The tenth son. 
Nathalem is really uh, from the Hebrew, from the another son of Jacob, which was Naphtali. Zebulun and Naphtali, Capernaum was between them, like two great shoulders. And here he comes, the guarded one, the one from eternity. And he walks in in redemptive grace into Capernaum. And of all the places that he could have went, straight to Jerusalem, but he did not go. He didn't go. Of all the nations, with all of the millions, with all the peoples in all of the lands, where has held Christ in honor for all of these years? Where has he appeared and dwelt in the preaching of his word and in the hearts of his people? But little Ulster, the last bastion of evangelical Protestantism in the whole of Europe. He left Nazareth and came to Capernaum. Christ came and changed this nation through the preaching of his own word. Notice Zebulun was the tenth son. Nephilim or Naphtali was the sixth son. Six is the number of man. Six is the number of man. But it speaks of man in his fallen state. Man in his death and depravity. Man with his inabilities and his evil heart. His wickedness turned from God and wickedness one toward another. The sixth son of Jacob. And ten is the number of God's complete order. Perfect order of God. For example, ten commandments. For example, the Passover lamb, which typified the Lord Jesus Christ in Calvary, was to be uh, crucified on the tenth day of the first month. The perfect order, one is the number of God. The lamb, God, man, the lamb, dying in perfection for us. And we think of the Day of Atonement, the Day of Judgment. It's the tenth day of the seventh month. Seven is a number of completeness. Ten is a number of perfection order. In the complete and perfect order, there will be judgment upon the land. There will be judgment upon the Christ rejecter and all who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this. He comes and he dwells in Capernaum, the village of comfort. This is the first and the true real comfort that Capernaum would have because Christ was in the center, because Christ was in the midst, because Christ came and he brought redemptive grace for men and women to be brought back to God again. Notice he dwelt there. In Matthew Chapter 4 and verses 14 to 16 gives us another idea. If we could just look at it briefly for a minute. Verse 14 of Matthew 4. It says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region, in the shadow of death, life has sprung up. Notice life and light sprung up in the region when Christ was there. Notice this. Here, Matthew brings uh, Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 into the picture. 
He says, as in verse 14, he says, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Let me read to you Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless, shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. Here Isaiah is speaking about the two kingdoms of Israel. Here he's speaking about when God came and moved upon them with the Assyrians in judgment. And now in the same region, although Israel are gone, there's Judaism there in the Jews. There's heathenism there. There's a mixture of Samaritans there. And there's some scatterings of, of, of Israel that are about the place. And here he says, now God is going to do it again. God is going to do it again. God came in the person of Christ. The moral darkness, the moral darkness of of these people was greater than their national misery. I want you to catch this because in this day, first of all in Isaiah's day, now in this day, whenever we're reading when Christ went to Capernaum, their moral darkness, their moral darkness was greater than their national misery. Now, if you think our national misery is bad because of what our politicians are doing, if you think our national misery is bad because of the, of the, the, the betrayal acts and all the things that are happening, if you think our, our national misery is bad because of the economy and because of the health service, which is terrible, if you think our national misery is bad at this moment in time, if you think our national misery is bad because of the forced abortion act and the, and the forced gay marriage, legalization of gay marriage in little old Ulster, if you think it's bad now, when God comes to recompense, that, that depravity that's deep in the hearts of men and women, wait till you see the judgment of God upon the land. And just as the rain and the sun will shine and rain upon the just and the unjust, the good and the bad, so if we are alive, we will find calamity in Ulster. That's where Ulster's headed. That's the fate of Ulster. That's the fate of our little nation. That's the fate of this wee spot in Europe. Whoever would have thought that this little spot in Europe of, of the furthest west part of the United Kingdom Who would ever have thought that this little spot, this wee spot in Europe, away across, now on nearly the Atlantic Ocean, who would have thought that the whole of the European Union and all of the the leaving of the British Empire would swing upon this little home of ours? That Europe is in crisis. Germany's going to go bust soon. Look at it. They're struggling. And so they're grasping and they're clawing. To keep Britain in. Listen, brothers and sisters, Britain are leaving. And I'm hearing politicians saying, well, well, you're better staying in. You're better staying in. Listen, we're better in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. We're better going on with God and trusting in Him. And I know we're being sold out and there's a line coming down and a border down the Irish Sea, but we're better standing and fighting for our rights and getting on our knees and crying unto God. Where's the prayer warriors? Now you know why I didn't want to preach this message. 
said, God, give it to somebody else. I'll get in trouble. I'm always getting in trouble. I'm always getting something every week. Tell me how much they hate me. I don't care who hates me, but give it to somebody else. Brothers and sisters, we find that when we find here in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, that which happened then happens again. History has a habit of repeating itself. And God dropped this into me. And we can say that redemptive grace came to Capernaum. And they rejected him on the whole. Did you hear that? They rejected Christ. On the whole, they rejected Christ at Capernaum. And in the whole, they're starting to reject the God that blessed our lands. They're starting to reject Christ now. He's no longer wanted. He's no longer loved. He's no longer admired. And the church are languishing. And the church are lazy. And the church are lethargic. And the church are worldly. And the church are ecumenical. And the church are too, too busy uh, having their good times and their knees up and starting to join the world in their festivities and their, their love parties and all the things that they get up to. And, the, and our people love to have it so. Brothers and sisters, we're used to betrayal. So let's not back down now. Notice Isaiah 9 and 2, it says, the people that walked in darkness, the people that walked in darkness. In Matthew 16, you think it was bad when the house of Israel were there? Now this remnant that are there, it's even worse, you know what it says? They sat in darkness. In Isaiah's day, they were walking in darkness, idolatry, and sin, debauchery, and depravity. But in this day here, in Capernaum, when Christ arrived, it says they sat in darkness. They were sitting in darkness. Carson in his, Carson in his commentary writes, in despised Galilee, the place where the people live in darkness, i.e. without religious and cultic advantages of Jerusalem and Judea, here the light has dawned. And the light dawned on them. Redemptive grace came to them. And on the whole, they rejected Christ. Brothers and sisters, our land has seen so much of the gospel. I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm a, I'm a unionist, you know that. I'm a patriot of my country, you know that. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm a Protestant. I'm a Bible-believing Protestant. I'm a born-again Christian. I'm blood-washed and I'm blood-bought and I'm unashamed of it. But I'm going to tell you one thing. Do you see the so-called Protestants that say that they're Protestants? I can tell you they don't know God. They're lost and they're in their sin and they'll go to hell. Psalm 1 and 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You're blessed if you're not walking with them, standing among them, or sitting down with them. And the church is doing all three. And the politicians are doing all three.
The depth of this darkness and the people sitting in it in verse 16 are contrasted with the fame of this great light and the people who followed it. Look at Matthew chapter 4, please. Verse 24. It says, And his fame went through all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those that were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. You see the difference? Men and women sitting in depravity and darkness. And here God wants to move. Christ comes to redeem. He wants to save. And he wants to bless and heal. And everybody's just getting on their own way. And even the church are throwing out the Holy Ghost. The church are throwing out the Holy Ghost. So in Luke 10 and verse 15. It says, And now Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. Notice, exalted to heaven, thrust down to hell. It was said that the people of Capernaum thought well of themselves. They thought they were a bit more upper than those who were more downer. Ulster's full of that too. Ulster's full of that. You've got those, that their bracket in that place, those people in Ulster who are, who are selling out their birthright, who are selling out the land, who are selling out Ulster, they're selling out uh, all that God has given them and God has afforded them. They're selling it out for the, for the European euro. They're selling it out for the European euro. We say that the people of Capernaum thought well of themselves, pride and arrogance, and seemingly self-sufficiency. And hell, hence the master says you're exalted to heaven. Now, I, I, I believe many of the commentators would be right in saying that. But I don't believe that's why they were exalted to heaven. It typifies why they were exalted to heaven, I'll tell you. Why this was their imagined and darkened and blinded and self-deluded and deceiving mentality. The truth is this. They were exalted to heaven simply because of one reason. Leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt at Capernaum. They were exalted to heaven because Christ was there. It was in this region, Capernaum became his second home. Capernaum became his ministerial headquarters. It was in this region that he calls Peter and Andrew and James and John on the shore. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. He taught in the synagogues here. He gave the Sermon on the Mount. There's two, you know, there's one down in Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives too. There's two sermons on the Mount. Here, he gave it one for the north, representing the northern kingdom, one at the south, representing the southern. He healed Peter's mother-in-law here. The man was let down through the roof because they couldn't get in for the crowds coming to him. Here he tells him, take up your bed and walk. The woman with the issue of blood was healed here. The young girl raised from the dead and given back to her parents was raised here. The two blind men received their sight around here. He casts out the dumb and the demoniac from the young man. And he heals the man with the withered hand in the synagogue here. Money is found in the fish's mouth to pay the tax collector here. He walked on water. He stole the storm just off the coast of here. He healed the nobleman's son and he healed the centurion's servant and much, much more. And John says, if all the miracles of Jesus had been written in books, the whole world could not contain the books they were written on. This is all that we know. 
It was exalted to heaven because Christ was in the midst. And it was exalted to heaven because the kingdom of God and power had come. And it was exalted in the midst because the word of the Lord was prevalent on his lips and in his mouth and given to the people. And he raised them up to heaven and they're falling down to hell. They're coming down to hell because they've rejected him. Because they've rejected him. Capernaum, thou shalt be thrust down to hell. May Capernaum's woe, may Capernaum's woe be a warning to Ulster tonight. May Capernaum's woe be a warning to Ulster tonight. I want to look for a minute at Matthew just chapter 11, if you'll turn with me. Verse 23. Matthew 11 and verse 23. And the liberals and the leftists and the Marxists and the communists all are coming out of the woodwork. Some who even profess Christ as their saviour. Some who say they are Christian and I go to such and such a church. I go to such and such and belong to such and such a denomination. And they're gathering together all with the unified voice that they may thrust us away from our our, our, our British folk across the water and that they may thrust us into a European Union and bring us in to a republic of godless, atheistic and Romanist uh, 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 United Ireland. They're gathering together and they're finding a common cause to destroy this last bastion of evangelicalism in Ulster. And those so-called so-called Protestants who do not know God think, well, you know what? We could rat and fight and take up the gun and shoot innocent Catholics. You know what? It's wrong. It's wrong. Matthew 11, verse 23, please. Now Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. Notice, for if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. We've got to pause here just for one second. Sodom? The Sodomites? Were God destroyed by fire? Jesus is saying, you're going to come under even a condemnation that they didn't have. Think about it. Because if they had a heard and seen the miracles and they had a heard the word of God that you heard, if they had a heard the preaching that you heard, if they had a heard the teaching that you had, if they had a seen all the sick being raised, if they had a seen the dead being brought to life, if they had a seen walking on the water and calming storms with his word, if they had a been raised up, they would have repented even before you have now. What a damnation for us there. What a damnation for us. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Let me give you a couple of things that are, that are unique to Northern Ireland. You ready? Just a couple, a few of them. One, Northern Ireland is the only country in the history of the world that came out directly through the Reformation principle. The only one in the whole world. Others took on the Reformation, but Northern Ireland came out from that because of what happened with 
King William of Orange in 1619 and all the stuff that's happened in Ireland since that and we broke away from that. It's the only one. Secondly, more Bi- there's more Bible-believing Christians per capita, that is per head now. We're only 1.7, 1.8 million. Per capita, per head. There's more, we're, there's more Bible-believing or professing Bible-believing Christians per capita in Northern Ireland than in any other country in the whole world. You wouldn't think it now, sure you wouldn't. Oh, there's millions in America, but it's per head, per capita. There's more so-called Protestant churches per capita in Ulster than in the rest of the world. What are they doing? What are they teaching? I'll tell you what they're doing. They're telling them fanciful furry tales. And they're, selling, they're sending people home lost the way they came in. And they're going through all their rituals and all their ceremonies and they're having their lovely tea parties and they're doing all of this and there's, some of them are sitting there and they're not getting any word. There was one a few years back come out with a Mr. Man children's colour book and started saying, some of you are grumpy today. There's Mr. Grumpy and that's you. And I'm telling you the truth. It's the truth. God forgive them. Fourthly, Northern Ireland exports, exports more of the sacred page through tract, through booklet, and through Bibles. Northern Ireland does than any other country. In fact, it's said than every other country in the world put together. That's the heritage of this place. That's what we're giving away. That's what we're letting go of, brothers and sisters. And why? Because someone says to you, you're very hard. Someone says to you, oh, well, you, you know what I'll get next? Oh, you're very political. Is it any wonder? There's government laws being passed where babies are being slain in the womb. Is it any wonder? People say, I can't even be bothered going to church tonight. And our churches are lying empty, and Hindu temples are being made out of them, and mosques are being made out of them, and furniture stores are being made, and cinemas and bars and nightclubs are being made out of them. And then all those so called Protestants are getting up and saying, Well, you know, isn't it terrible what's happening in the lands? You know why? It's because of you and who you are and what you're hearing. You need to get on your knees and repent. You need to repent. There's more missionaries leave the shores of Ulster. You ready? There's more missionaries leave the shores of Ulster per capita, that is, than any other country in the world. This little country of ours. This wee spot in Europe. God has kept this land throughout all all the troubles that it has seen. And God in the darkest of days has raised up men to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ throughout it all. And even in the troubles, men have turned, women have turned from their sin, from their lost estate, and they've given their lives to God. And now they're just throwing it all down the river and letting it sink to the bottom. Brothers and sisters, our land needs Jesus.
Proverbs 11 and verse 11 says, By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. What about Belfast City Hall? My beloved city. I'm a Belfast man to the core. I love my city. Cut me and I'm Belfast. I'm like one of those Black Pooh rocks or Portrush rocks and you cut through and Portrush is still through it. If it could say Shore Road on it, it would say Shore Road, Belfast. You'd cut me and it would say it. It's who I am. It's in my veins. I am what I am and that's where I, I love it. I'm passionate about the place. It's the best football team in the whole world. And I don't even follow football. It's Crusaders, of course. I'm a Belfast man. I'm saying this is a Belfast man. Do you see see since all of these left-wing Marxists, communists, terrorists have been in government and have pulled down the flag of our nation, the Union of Jacob, see since they have pulled the banner down, do you know what has happened? It's went down the drain. We're seeing parades that we've never seen before. We're hearing of things that we've never heard before. It's in our schools, it's in the universities, it's in the colleges. And when it starts in the capital city, it spreads throughout the rest of the land. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, would have had repented. Even the Sodomites, Jesus said, would have repented if they saw what you saw, Capernaum. Listen, let me just run through a few things as I close this message. We have had the Covenanters, the Ulster Scots, which many of us are descended from, came over to the lands and we have the Covenanters who started preaching the gospel of saving grace found in Christ alone. We had great preachers that would arise and not only in the mainland of the United Kingdom or pardon me, England, Scotland and Wales but across even into Ireland. We in recent centuries had the Ulster Revival of 1859. 100,000 souls came to Christ in one year alone. Here is a minister's report. Listen to what he says and he speaks of the hard-hearted church of his day at the revival. You ready? A hard-hearted church. Well, CET, see whatever goes on out there. Let us not be a hard-hearted church towards the gospel or towards the blood in the book. Let's always be softened with the Holy Ghost and power to receive the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. Let's always be in love with Christ. A hard-hearted church, you ready? Hitherto, he writes, was our condition deplorable. The congregation seemed dead to God. Formal, cold, prayerless, worldly, stingy in religious things. That's what he writes about his own congregation. When you say what I'm going to write. <laughs> and God still moved and saved. It's not what we see. It's not today again. It's not what we're seeing. 
Here's another one. Another minister reported about the hard-hearted believers couldn't reach them. He says, there seemed great coldness and deadness. I had preached the gospel faithfully, earnestly, and plainly for 11 years, yet it was not, to know, it was not known to me that a single individual had been converted. Not one in 11 years did that man see faithfully preaching Christ. That's what Ulster was like before the revival came. Before redemptive grace came again into the land. In one church alone at the revival in Connor, there were 100, ready, 100 prayer meetings a week in one church. Can't even get 100 out there prayer meeting now. God was moving. Prayer meetings were across the land in churches, in barns, in homes. Many people hadn't gone to bed for two to three nights. Some under heavy conviction. And some stayed up for two and three nights in prayer. Some of us can't stay for two or three minutes. One minister reported the difficulty used to be, this is at the revival, the difficulty used to be to get people into the church but the difficulty now is to get them out. Oh, for us to shut the doors and say, we will not let thee go except thou bless our land. If you're not going to send revival, we won't leave here. Rather it be two or three days, we're going to seek thy face in prayer. Notice, large open air meetings were held across the land. Listen, some of the openers had 25,000 gathering at it. 25,000. In London Derry, there were 5,000 turned up at a prayer meeting, which was held several times a day. 5,000, 5,000, 5,000, praying, seeking God, not only for the people, but for the land and for the nation. It was said of one of them, for the last three weeks, it has been one continual Pentecost. Oh God, send it again. Send it again, Lord. Bar owners, bartenders were getting saved. Distilleries were closing. Crime dropped by half within months. Eh? The bars were closing. Sure, the Christians are going and supporting them. They're keeping them open by buying it. Listen, the time of it, the Roman Catholic Church sold holy water to protect the people from this strange work called, they call the revival devil. The Lord says, if the works had been done in thee, the mighty works, the mighty works in the Ulster. In 1876, in Bangor, W.P. Nicholson was born, a Presbyterian preacher and evangelist. And he went to Australia, and he was known as the tornado in the pulpit. He was also known as the vulgar evangelist because he told it straight as it was. He said how it was meant to be, 
and he just preached it straight at them without fear or favor of man. He was away in Australia and coming back. Listen to what he says. When I arrived in Ulster in 1920, I found it on the very edge of civil war. Is not the threat that you're hearing murmuring in the back again? Is not what you're hearing? It's not what you're hearing. It could be another uprising. It could be another civil war. I found the country terribly disturbed. There was a curfew and Belfast City was deserted. Ian Bounds once said, the church is looking, pardon me, the church is looking for better methods while the Lord is looking for better men. Brother, would you be a better man for the Lord? Sister, would you be a better woman for the Lord? Would you purpose in your heart to be better, to do better, to walk with him? Would you do better to speak out, to stand up, to stand straight and tell the unsearchable riches of Christ to your work colleagues, to your neighbors, whether it's Protestant or Catholic or otherwise, atheist or whoever? Will you do better, brother? Will you do better, sister? Will you purpose it in your heart tonight that you'll do better? God is looking for men to do better and for women to do better. Ian Bounds says there's four things a preacher needs to know. One, he needs to know is God. Many preachers that don't know God, they're off a conveyor belt. And they're stamped at the end. Off you go and make your money and be good living for a living, unsaved, and they'll die in their sin and bring many with them to hell. Protestant so-called ministers. He needs to know God. Do you know God? Do you know God? Secondly, he needs to know his Bible. You see, there's no use going anywhere without that. It's no use getting up to preach if you're not going to preach from that. You have nothing to say if you don't say it from that. There's too much fairy tales and fanciful stories, ear tickling sermons. There's too many little illustrations to make people laugh and comics in the pulpit, uh, uh, entertaining goats rather than the sheep. Being fed. He needs to know God. He needs to know his Bible. Thirdly, he says, he needs to know the times in which the generation God has placed him into. Do we realize? I'm trusting CET. You've been here. We're nearly here. It's coming three years in May. And from those that were with me before that, and those who have come on board, and those who have watched online, I'm trusting that you have not been able to say, I don't know the times and the days and the hours in which we live, because we have done our best. The need of the hour is men and women on fire for Christ. For men and women to wake up. Arise, O sleeper. Arise from the dead. And Christ shall give thee life. Needs to know the generation and the times they're in. Fourthly, they need to know themselves. Who are you, Ken? 
And that boy from Belfast, the back streets, who God has took for some reason, made me preach yesterday to you. And I don't know why, but he's done it. Nothing special. But I'm special to him. And so are you. W.P. Nicholson grabbed hold of these and he preached these four truths, listen, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds came to saving faith in Christ. For if the works had been done in thee, the mighty works had been done in thee. If they hadn't been done in Sodom, they'd have repented. Look what's done in you, Capernaum. Look what's been done in you, Ulster. Ulster, look what you've seen. George and Stephen Jeffries, saved in the Welsh Revival in 1904. They were brought over to preach in Monaghan, that one other province of Ulster, just across the border of Northern Ireland. And whenever they heard they were Pentecostals, they shut the meeting down and wouldn't let them preach. Guess what? They missed out on the Holy Ghost. Because I'm back the next year, 1915, the evangelistic band preached Christ and people were saved and people were healed and people were baptized in the Holy Ghost, glory to God, filled with the Spirit and the whole of the movement started to move across into England and Scotland and Wales and over across Northern Ireland, even further afield. And it went on and on and there were crutches and, 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 and trophy rooms where the wheelchairs and the crutches and, and all these walking aids were left where people had been healed on the spot. And he preached a national historic message. He preached the gospel of saving grace. He preached the Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus is saviour of the soul. He is the healer of the body. He is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost. And he is the soon coming king. Glory to God. Ulster heard it. Ulster received it. And Ulster knew it. And Ulster threw it out. Listen, even the Pentecostals are throwing out the Holy Ghost for, for guitars, flash and music, flash and lights, loud music and disco balls. They're throwing it out. We're, all, we're going to stand like this. Oh, look at this here. We're all Pentecostal. That's not Pentecost. Pentecost is the Holy Ghost. The moving of the Holy Ghost. It's nothing to do with Pentecost. And Ulster had it. And oh, the pale shadows of the Ulster Church. We're not perfect either. The pale shadow of what it was was now dying. And the heathen are taking over the land. God forgive us. I'm closing, thank you. I could talk of my own pastor, James McConnell. Preaching to thousands, seeing thousands coming to Christ. He was hated. <laughs> you know what? Jesus says, You're blessed when all men, men will say evil against you falsely for my sake. And the more you're hated for standing for Christ, the more he'll bless you. Do you hear that, brother, sister? The more he'll bless you. And the more he'll bless our land. I'm finishing with this. Ulster, this wee little spot in Europe, Western United Kingdom, this last bastion of the gospel and evangelical Christianity and biblical Protestantism. 
is at a crossroads. It's at a crossroads. You're part of it. I'm not going to go into who should vote and who shouldn't vote and what you should vote for, but I'm going to tell you something. Brothers and sisters, see if we don't See if we don't seek the face of God and see if we don't make our mark known and see if we don't stand up, then we're going to be dragged in to a Republic of Ireland uh, that has all manner of sin and debauchery and liberalism because it's been swallowed up in a beast called the European Union. Do you know something? I've read of two or three Roman Catholic priests and even they are saying, you know what they're saying? I'll have to give it to them. You're not, the Catholics weren't going to go and come and take Mass. Even though it's blasphemous, we know that. But Roman Catholics weren't going to come and take Mass if they supported any, any political party that were abortionists. Fair play to them. How many Protestant churches have you heard of? Come on, how many? How many, how many are standing and telling their people about these issues? How many, are, how many Protestant churches are you going to go to tonight across Ulster and they're going to tell you by this Thursday the 12th year you're going to be voting and don't be voting for a party, a party that supports abortion and gay marriage and all the things that's out against the, the law and the word of God. How many? I'm sure there's some, but I don't know. It's the only wonder Ulster's in the state it's in. Now Capernaum be thrust down to hell and I looked up old photos I'm sure some of you have been there and there's some more latter ruins but there's some of the real ancient ones of Jesus' day there part of the old synagogue's torn, it's still standing where it was torn down it's nothing it's nothing I dread to think what becometh of Ulster to think what comes of our land if we don't stand up stand up for Jesus and be soldiers of the cross lift high his royal banner it must not suffer loss from victory unto victory his army shall he lead till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. Glory to God. Church, would you shout hallelujah? Will you praise him tonight? He's worthy of the glory. May God bless his word to us. For Jesus' sake.